Hello and welcome to Small Town Sports Talk. I'm Jonah Freeman with co-host Andrew Willett. And today we have another very special guest, Andrew. Jonah, you're absolutely right. We are very, very excited about this next guest. He used to announce Butler basketball. He used to announce the Fever, as well as he's entering uh, so many seasons now with the Indiana Pacers as the television play-by-play announcer. We're very excited to be joined by the Hall of Famer for the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association, Mr. Chris Denary. Chris, how are you? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good to be with you guys. You guys have elaborate setups. I never had a setup like that when I was your age. (laughs) I know it. I'm pretty happy about it. So, uh, first of all, we've asked everyone, how are things going with you and your family during the pandemic? Well, that's been the, that's been the good news is everybody's been healthy. Uh, my wife and I, we have three boys. Uh, one lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's 30. Uh, he's a grad, uh, graduate of Manchester University. Um, our middle son is married. Um, he's an accountant here in Indianapolis. He's 28, and then our youngest just graduated from Ball State uh, in the spring. So the good news is everybody's healthy. You know, it's been a it's been a, a difficult time. You know, it's the strangest time that I've ever seen in my life. And you know, unfortunately, we've had some people fall ill. And in fact, we I've known some people that have passed away from COVID. So you know, the most important thing is for people to stay healthy and safe. And um, hopefully, as this uh, NBA season restarts and the Pacers uh, restart, we can give people a little bit of joy uh, throughout this time. Right. And that's the truth, Chris. We've, uh, we've been talking about it. We are super excited about tonight. Uh, real impactful basketball going on. Like you said, uh, looking forward to getting things going. So let's hop back real quick and look at the Pacers. What were your thoughts on the Pacers season up until the stoppage? Well, they were playing their best basketball of the year uh, prior to the stoppage. They had won eight of 11. They went on the road, won four out of five, uh, one in San Antonio, one in Dallas. Uh, I, I thought were playing, you know, really impressive basketball. And they were doing it with all the injuries that they battled throughout the year. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon missed a number of games. Um, so I thought DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner together uh, were playing as well together as they had played uh, throughout the year. So. Uh, I think it, all in all, it's been a really good season. When you think about it, uh, the Pacers starters, who we had, who we believe would be the starting lineup of Warren, uh, Oladipo, Brogdon, Sabonis, and Turner, they have played six games together. And then you look at the backcourt of Brogdon and Oladipo, they've played 10 games together. Yet this team is still 39 and 26, 13 games over 500, uh, with, you know, with a chance to advance in the playoffs. So, um, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. I know we'll touch on it. There's no DeMontis Sabonis here to start in the restart. He's out with plantar fascia. But this team has found ways to win games this year, and I expect them to do that again uh, as the season restarts. You mentioned the lack of Oladipo throughout the season. And it, right now it's looking pretty good to see him on the floor, but at the same time we don't know for sure. What are your thoughts on the whole Oladipo situation, and what do you think he brings to the team? as far as the NBA restart goes. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that uh, he is the best player when healthy. There's no question about that. And his ability uh, to get to the basket, he's – during the three scrimmages, it was interesting. In scrimmage one and three, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but I thought in the Dallas win, uh, he had 16 points, seven rebounds, hit four threes, 
I thought he was very, very effective. I thought he did a good job of getting downhill. He was getting to the rim. I was also most impressed by his defense and his ability uh, to, to stay in front of his man because when healthy, Victor is as much an asset on the defensive end as he is on the offensive end. Right. You know, weeks ago when he said, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to play, that surprised me from the standpoint that I thought if that decision was going to be made, it wouldn't be made until he got to Orlando and had a chance to play five on five. And so he sort of changed his mind. He's not officially said he's going to play, but I believe he's going to play. I'm just not – I just think he wouldn't have played in those scrimmages. And, and again, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I thought he got a little tired. I thought his shots were short in that San Antonio game on Tuesday. But everything that I've been led to believe as, as we're taping this on, uh, you know, Thursday afternoon, that Victor Oladipo will play when the season starts on Saturday. All right. Well, how about uh, Demontis? How how is he? Uh, how soon does he have a chance at returning? Well, he's outside the bubble getting treatment uh, for his plantar fascia. He left and went to Los Angeles, and so there's really no timetable uh, because once he does come back, he's going to have to re-quarantine in the bubble, and then he'd have to get out on the practice floor. So, you know, there's part of me that believes that. Uh, the earliest we could potentially see Sabonis would be when the playoffs start in a couple of weeks. I just don't, I just don't see it probable or possible that he would be back to play in the regular season. But, um, you know, we just don't know anything right now. Uh, the team has provided no update, and we've not heard anything from DeMontis out in the L.A. area as well. Right. You know, we just hit on Sabonis, obviously. So who do you see filling that role, whether that's Jakar Sampson, uh, Goga, TJ Leaf playing minutes at the four or five? What do you like about the depth at the center position, and who do you think we see a lot of? Well, I think it'll be Jakar Sampson. Uh, I think he's had a really good year. He started a number of games, mostly at the four. Uh, he's an undersized post player. He's only six foot seven. Uh, TJ Leaf could see some time as well. Um, that's the real issue for the Pacers is Gogo Bataze has been battling a knee issue. He's not even practiced down in Orlando, so he's still some two weeks away. So I'm not sure even if he's available, if all of a sudden you're going to put a rookie who's never experienced the postseason out there. So the Pacers will just have to deal with it and play small. Um, I, I think Miles Turner in the, in the two games that he played against both Dallas and San Antonio showed some real flashes of a strong post-up game, something that we've really not seen a lot from Miles over the years. So um, the, the Pacers will definitely go small. Uh, they'll use a three-guard uh, lineup to start the game with Aaron Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, and Victor Oladipo, and just have to find ways to win. Well, you mentioned the Turner and Sabonis. I felt like it feels like forever ago when there were tons of questions about whether or not that would work. And so far in the season, we've seen that it's worked out pretty well. And like I said, it feels like forever ago, but we got to remember it was just the start of the 2019-20 season, this season. So um, lots, lots can happen there. But you said more going small. How does that affect the Pacers' defense, and how does it affect their offense? Well, it definitely affects the, uh, affects the defense with that second unit because you just don't have the rim protection. Uh, because what the Pacers were doing when they had both Turner and Sabonis is they would sub one of those out 
And when the other one subbed out, the other one would come back in. So you're talking about two 6'11 players. We know Turner's a better shot blocker than Sabonis, but you still had size uh, to defend the rim. You're not going to have that size now because uh, Jakar Sampson's foot seven, and he just doesn't give you the same uh, defensive opportunities at the rim that they're going to have. Uh, the, 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 the positive would be is by being smaller, you can play a little quicker. And that starting unit should be able to play a little faster. Um, a lot will – I think one of the wild cards is, and I thought he played really well in the scrimmages, is T.J. McConnell. I think the way he initiates the offense with that second unit, uh, he had six assists in uh, the first scrimmage, six in the second, and 10 or 11 in the third. His ability to find his teammates in McDermott, Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, Edmund Sumner, um, I, I just think the tempo will be a little bit faster. And in the scrimmages, they showed that they would shoot the three more. I mean, it's not something they did on a regular basis uh, prior to the restart. They were near the bottom. In fact, I think they were 30th in three-point mm -hmm. shots attempted. That really has changed. They, they've been around 19 or 20 in the scrimmages. So I think they'll play faster and uh, take a, a few more perimeter shots, especially from three-point range. I want to hit on some of the challenges that you face as part of your job. We've hit it on the players, but what's it been like for you and Quinn preparing for these games, being on the outside of the bubble? Yeah, that's the hardest thing because uh, my communication with the players and the coaches is just as I'm doing with you via Zoom. Um, so you don't have uh, the ability to go to practice. We are calling the games from the studios at Bankers Life Fieldhouse and and I'll be honest, once the game starts, I sort of lose myself in the game. I have a big monitor. Um, hopefully when you watch, and if you watch the scrimmages, and when you watch on Fox Sports Indiana starting on Saturday, it sounds like we are there. I think it's good that Quinn and I are in the same room, though we are socially distanced about six feet apart, maybe even 10 feet apart. Uh, but it is definitely different not being around the team. Uh, it's different not calling the game on site. When you're on site, you have the ability to talk to the officials, see what's happening on the benches, all those kinds of things. But uh, the bottom line is we can still do our jobs. Um, I, I think when you watch, uh, you won't really realize that we're not courtside in Orlando. Yep. So if you had a chance, uh, well, first of all, did you have a chance to go to the bubble as part of the media? And second of all, if you did, uh, would you like to? Is that something you're interested in? Uh, we did not have a chance. Uh, all local broadcasters are uh, relegated to uh, doing it remotely. Uh, the, only, the only broadcasters that are on site will be TNT and ESPN. And, you know, there are very few uh, people in the bubble. I mean, there are I think there are maybe 10 to 15 people in the true bubble where the players are. Then there's a secondary bubble. And then I think there's a tertiary bubble. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I'm fine doing it from where we are. Um, I, I don't know if I would want to be in a, in, in a, in a campus like setting for two months away from family, those types of things. And, you know, that's where I give a lot of credit to the players in the league for doing this. I mean, now a lot of people say, well, gee, they make a lot of money. They can handle it. Yeah, but they're still a human. This is not a PlayStation or an Xbox game where you hit a button and these guys play. They are human. They have human emotions. They have families. Uh, some have kids. 
So this is uh, th this is a, a pretty big sacrifice, if you will, uh, for all of these people. But they are also doing it for the good of the game. They are doing it for their careers, and this is how they support their families. So um, thus far, everything has worked out well in the three weeks that the teams have all been down there, and let's let's hope it continues that way. So speaking of the bubble, what do you think about say the layout of the courts and the the screens they've put up? And just what are your overall thoughts on the bubble? Do you think the NBA can sustain this for the period of time they need the players to be there to complete the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, they, they just had the most recent uh, COVID-19 test, and they had all negatives. Uh, over 300 players were tested. Um, it is really neat to see sort of the virtual look with the fans. Uh, for instance, Saturday will be a Pacers home game against Philadelphia, and you'll see the Pacers look. Uh, they'll put the virtual logos of sponsors and um, the team name on the floor. The players won't see that, but the fans watching the games will. So it's an opportunity to continue to allow sponsors to be integrated into those telecasts. And uh, TV is hugely important right now because there are no fans. This is how people consume the games, whether they're watching on their iPad, their computer, their TV, their phone. Um, it's a very important time for the NBA, and I think they've done a really good job thus far. I, I did just want to know, uh, what were your initial thoughts on the bubble? Um, I'm just a big believer in Adam Silver and the NBA, um, and I think when they put their mind to it, um, they've got a lot of quality people, a lot of smart people that are down there working. So I, I'm not surprised um, that, that it is working now and should work into the future. I think that the teams or the leagues that are in the bubble, uh, basketball, hockey, MLS, have the best chance of actually getting through their seasons. We've already seen the issues that have happened with the Miami Marlins in Major League Baseball. Uh, we know all the issues that the NFL is going to face going into the fall and college sports and high school sports. I mean, how do you keep people healthy when they're out interacting with people at the grocery store and the gas station and, and wherever. Um, the NBA has built this campus, so they've basically taken all these people and put them in the bubble or the campus with no way for other people to interact. And that has proven thus far to, to, to work, and hopefully it continues to work over the next couple months. We've seen ping pong. We've seen fishing. We've seen... <laughs> Uh, Cornhole, where do you see yourself spending most of your time if you were in the bubble? I would try to get out to the golf course. Um, yeah. That would be something that I want to do. In fact, I just heard, I talked to our sideline reporter, Jeremiah Johnson, who did an interview with Doug McDermott today via Zoom, and Doug had just gotten off the golf course and shot a 77. So I would be out there with Doug McDermott hitting the little white ball, no question. Very nice. And before we uh... – before we get into the schedule for the seeding games, how are how is the bubble treating the Pacers? What are they up to during in their time away from basketball? Oh, I think they're you know they're all finding ways to um, you know survive, if you will. I, I think I think social justice is a huge issue, and it gives these guys an opportunity to uh, think about the platform that they have and the message they want to share. So I think that's really important for them. And, and you have different guys. Like Jakar Sampson, he said, look, I'm a homebody. Um, this is nothing new. Uh, if you think a lot of guys in the NBA who have played overseas, they've been away from their family before. 
spent time talking to Eddie Gill, who's on our telecast. And, uh, you know, he was not an NBA player who just came into the league and played in the, in the NBA for years. I mean, he played overseas. He was away from his family. So for a lot of these guys, this is nothing new for them. So uh, I think as the games start and you're playing every other day, you'll be so busy that you really won't worry about those things because you'll have practice, you'll play a game. You'll have practice, you'll play a game. You'll have film study, all those kinds of things. So I think really as the restart happens starting today, once all that happens, I think it'll be a lot easier for the players. Yep, so let's dive right into the schedule. We have the Sixers, Wizards, Magic, Suns, Laker, Heat, and then Heat actually twice, and then the Rockets. What do you see being the most important games on this schedule for the Pacers? Well, clearly game number one is hugely important because the Pacers and the Sixers are tied with the same record, 39 and 26. The Pacers have the tiebreaker right now because they lead the season series 2-1. So if you win Saturday night, um, if in any situation you tie the Sixers, you've got the tiebreaker. Home court advantage, guys, as we all know, doesn't matter because there is no home court there. Uh, but who you play in the first round could matter. And the Pacers right now would play Miami because they'd be the five seed. The Heat would be the four. Uh, the Celtics are the three, and the Sixers are the six. Um, I honestly – to me, it doesn't really matter who they play, but I do think their matchup probably is a little bit better with the Heat. We know what happened with Boston a year ago when the Celtics swept the Pacers. And if Joel Embiid is healthy, the Pacers have struggled against the Sixers with Embiid in the middle. And without Sabonis, it only allows Miles Turner as the big guy. What if Miles gets in foul trouble? So I think that game's going to be huge. Uh, the back end of the schedule is difficult. Uh, the Lakers are the best team in the West. Uh, Houston's very strong with Westbrook and Harden. And then you've got Miami twice. So, um, this this will be a difficult schedule. I think you got to take advantage of the Washington, Orlando, and Phoenix games to try to build some wins uh, heading to the, that final week. Well, I did want to ask you: uh, Do those Heat matchups intrigue you? The TJ Warren, Jimmy Butler oh, beef? Can you? Is, oh, are we going to need our popcorn? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a there's a, a chance that let's say the Pacers and the Heat play in the first round of the playoffs. That means if that series went seven, nine of ten Pacers games would be against the Miami Heat. Um, I think that would be some fascinating television. That would be awesome. Um, speaking of the whole situation with Oladipo, we just mentioned the Heat. We've heard speculation that maybe Oladipo isn't necessarily happy here. There's rumors with him going to Miami. What do you think about the bubble as far as a tampering standpoint goes? Do you see that being an issue with guys from other teams spending time with each other? Um, you know, I've read that, and, and uh, what, what are they calling it, Tamperpalooza or something down there because everybody <laughs> together. And, uh, I mean, you, you know, those are just things that are hard to control. I mean, um, guys are friends. Um, guys have conversations. I mean, we saw what happened um, years ago when Chris Bosh, Wade, and, and LeBron James got together. Um, I think Victor's a good guy. Um, I think Victor's a good player. Um, I'm hopeful that he – will stay as an Indiana Pacer. Uh, this is an important time for him to uh, come back healthy and show what he has. And like I said, all signs point to him being available to play on Saturday. I mean, the other thing is he still has a year to go on his contract. He is still an Indiana Pacer. Uh, I know people go back to, you know, what happened with Paul George. 
Um, at this point, Paul and Victor are different people. They're different, um, um, you know, different players. So I just really try to focus on the here and the now. And, and the now is the, the Pacers have the Sixers on Saturday night. Very nice. And still looking forward on that schedule. What matchup would you like to see for the Pacers in the first round? Uh, I'd like to see the Heat. I, I think Pacers Heat um, would, be, would be a good one. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm bullish on Brad Stevens in, in Boston. And so I think Brad can give you a lot of trouble uh, as a head coach. I, I just think that uh, Pacers Heat would be a very entertaining first round matchup. And, and, and I think the Pacers can beat anybody in the league, but that's the matchup I think I'd like to see in the first round. A lot of it depends on the health of Oladipo, obviously. But looking at this roster with some of the potential injuries, who do you think is the most important guy on this team that's going to have to make an impact? at all times for the Pacers to succeed in the bubble? Well, I think Miles Turner is going to be critical. Uh, his ability to play as the starting center, stay out of foul trouble, uh, defend the rim, but yet score. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, TJ Warren's been solid all year long. He's the Pacers leading scorer. But I really focus on that second unit. I think that's where the Pacers can gain some separation against most teams. It's how well the second unit's played with, uh, McConnell, McDermott, Justin Holiday. You're going to see two new additions into that second unit with Jakar Sampson and Edmund Sumner. I really point to the second unit as being a real key in this restart for the Pacers. Sure. Uh, and I, I'm going to hop back. Uh, obviously, Victor Aladipo, Paul George, not the same player. But recently, we did see Paul George uh, coming out on the Nuffleheads podcast with Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles saying that he had the, quote, best power forward, end quote, ready to team up. Who was that power forward? And how true is this uh, to your knowledge? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm one of those that I don't necessarily buy a lot that Paul said. I, I like Paul. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Paul was great for our franchise. But sometimes Paul just says stuff to say stuff. I mean, you know, we lived through that. You know, when he was in the dugout, you know, four years ago, and he said he wanted to be a pacer, and then two days later, he didn't want to be there anymore. So sometimes Paul just talks to, to talk. I, I'm telling you what, if the Pacers would have had a chance to get that player, they would have gotten him. Um, I don't think they had any chance to get who they were talking about. And, and so I just, again, Paul, you're out in L.A. Just worry about what you're doing with the Clippers and not worry about what we're doing here in Indiana. Huh. Speaking of the Clippers, do you have a clear favorite out of the West? Is it the Lakers? I know you mentioned them earlier as the best team in the West. Do you see the Lakers coming out of there? Well, I mean, they should just because they have LeBron. And we've all seen when LeBron's <laughs> in the playoffs, he usually gets his team to the finals. But I do think they took a hit with no Avery Bradley. Um, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith, I mean, they may mess the Lakers up. We don't know about that. But uh, with, with LeBron and Anthony Davis together – Usually, if you put anybody around two of those guys, uh, you're going to win games. So I'd, I'd have to say the Lakers. And clearly, in the East, uh, with Giannis as well as he's played and how they surround him with three-point shooters, you'd have to believe that Milwaukee's the favorite in the East. So you like the, the Lakers and the Bucks. Uh, who, are, who are some dark horse contenders, do you think, that could win it all? Well, I think the Clippers, I mean, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they're a very deep team. Uh, they definitely have enough talent to win. Uh, Toronto has proven this year that even without Kawhi Leonard, uh, they're a capable, 
capable team of advancing in the playoffs. I think they have a real hunger. I think they have a lot of togetherness. Uh, so those, those are probably the teams on the outside that I think would have a real chance. And before and then, uh, we go ahead, before we did this, some Pacers questions. One more. Yeah. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the Dams tonight? Who do you like? Well, um, well, let's see. With the Clippers, uh, they like they don't have Montrez Harrell and what is I don't is, Beverly's not back in the bubble yet. I'm not sure. I mean, I lose track of that. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> if it, it's funny when they play at Staples Center, even if it's a Clipper home game, there are more Lakers fans there than Clipper fans. Right. Um, I'm just fascinated to watch. I, I think um, what it's Utah, New Orleans in, in the first game. Uh, New Orleans, uh, we don't know if Zion's going to play or not. I mean, he's back in the bubble. Uh, Utah took a hit when, they, when Boyan Bogdanovich went out with uh, surgery. Um, I don't, I'll probably go um, – I'd still go Utah and the Lakers tonight. You know, you just mentioned people coming back into the bubble and the Clippers. So I got to ask you about the Lou Williams situation. He left for family reasons and then a picture surfaced of him at a club, bar, whatever. What are your thoughts on that situation? And do you think the NBA did the right thing by giving him the 10-day quarantine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just, you just can't – whether he was going in there to get carry-out ribs or not, or, or wings or not, you just can't put yourself in that situation – and it's, it's bigger than just Lou Williams, and it's bigger than the Clippers. This is the NBA. And that's why you're seeing in Major League Baseball, a lot of the players are saying, look, we need to make sure our players, our teammates, are going from the stadium to the hotel, the stadium to home. You just can't put yourself in position to get infected, and then maybe you infect um, the rest of the bubble. So absolutely. I wouldn't have been surprised to see it be two weeks, 10 days I'm fine with. He's going to miss a couple of games. That gets into his wallet a little bit. So I, I think it's good that the NBA did that. <laughs> okay, uh, now some fun, some fun Pacers ones. Uh, who are your favorite current Pacers to talk to? Oh, wow. Let's see. Um, you know, I really like talking to TJ McConnell. I um, mean, he, he's, he's a funny guy to talk to. Uh, Justin Holiday is very insightful. He has a lot of great things to say. He's a great family man, comes uh, from a great family and, and really has a lot of strong beliefs. And so he's somebody that is very, very genuine and, and, and really they all are. Uh, but, but for me, those are the guys that stand out. Malcolm Brogdon's, uh, you know, just a superhuman being. He's yeah. every bit better person than he is a basketball player. Um, so I would say those are the guys that, that stand out. I mean, Victor, you can have a lot of fun with. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to him a lot. I don't do as many interviews as like Jeremiah Johnson does because right. that's his job on the sideline. But, but clearly, I like being around those guys. They, they're all young enough to be my sons. So uh, <laughs> it's not like I hang out with those guys all the time. Fair enough. And then um... – Looking, you know, you've caught a lot of games for the Pacers. Do you have a favorite game or a favorite moment in a game that you look back on that broadcast and you'd be like, man, I nailed that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, what, two years ago would have been uh, Victor hitting the three-point shot against the Celtics. I thought that I, was that, huge. I was just thinking of that moment in my head. That always sticks out to me. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I mean, I also think it was like only his fourth or fifth game 
against San Antonio three years ago. He had a three uh, to beat the Spurs at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Um, you know, um, last year the Pacers beat the Lakers by 40 uh, with LeBron. I thought that was great. Um, I probably got to have more of a top 10 than I would right. a one, two, three. Um, the unfortunate thing when you do television, you don't get a do uh, beyond the first round of the playoffs. So I was not able to call any of those games. Remember when the Pacers beat the Knicks and Roy Hibbert blocked Carmelo's shot? Carmelo, yeah. Uh, there were, um, so I've not gotten a chance to do those games, but clearly in my 14 years, uh, I, there, are, there are a lot of good highlights and a lot of good memories that I've enjoyed. That's it. Uh, how about a favorite Pacers team that you have covered? Um, you know, I really like think the year the, that sticks out. Yeah, I, I really that thirteen fourteen team that won fifty six games and what at one point they were like thirty seven and six. Uh, when you had Lance and David West and George Hill, Paul and Hibbert, that was a really really talented team. And like I said, it's unfortunate that they were eliminated by LeBron and the Heat, but that was an awfully fun year. I mean, when 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 you're filling out your stat sheet and your team wins its first nine or 10 games, and then at one point they're 37 and six uh, during an NBA season, that's pretty special. Yeah, that's I would have to agree. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Small Town Sports Talk. I hope you know how much Joan and I appreciate it. Um, and to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, remember to follow us on Twitter at ST Squared 2. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I'm Andrew Willett with Jonah Freeman. And today, Kristen Ari, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys.